to the Bare Naked ABCs. We're taking a break from songs for a week to talk to a guest. The last time that we talked to him, he said that he hoped that he would have a new album released soon. Well, soon has come, and he has been gracious enough to come back on the show to talk about this wonderful album, as well as a few other questions that we had for him. It is my pleasure to welcome back to our podcast, Andy Cregan. Hello, Andy. Hi, thanks Thanks all for doing this. No, thank you for, for thank doing you, this. Thank you. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Right on, right on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a new member of our cast uh, since the last time we've talked with you. We have Heidi joining Hi, us Andy. now. <laughs> Hi. And and she's and she's completely fangirling out right now. L- completely. <laughs> longtime listener, longtime fan. <laughs> so cool. I... I guess my first question for you, Andy, um, is the last time that you were on, and I'm grabbing my notes so I can get this right, uh, we asked you about your solo projects, um, and you were kind of talking about Andy work. You were kind of like defining what the album kind of spoke as, and so Andy Works 1 was kind of what is what the composer is. Andy Works 2 was kind of a reaction to your learning and to your education, um, and Andy Works 3 was kind of like just a good time and fun. So with Andy Works 4 coming out, what is, what is Andy Works 4 in this definition of like what the album is? Well, I think it's as most um, things where you have, you know, it's, it's follows the line, right? It follows the thread. So uh, the one before it was fun. The one before that was reaction to education. The one before it was just, hey, I'm a composer. This is what I can do. <laughs> well, 4 is kind of a combination of all those things. Um, and a reflection of the last 11 years, which, uh, you know, me experimenting my studio, you know, I acquired a couple more instruments and uh, became a bit of a, a geek as far as uh, plugins and sounds and, uh, you know, studio stuff. Um, and so all those things combined. Um, and also it's a product of the projects I was working on, which were mainly theater projects. Mm-hmm. So the music, uh, you know, compared to three, it, it sort of um, demands less attention. It's, uh, you know, it's more of an, an underpinning for some sort of an emotion or something. So uh, it's all those things combined. Right. And I, I noticed in the album sleeve and the liner notes that you had said that this was written for um, a lot of them were written for 40 days, 40 nights. Um, so I was kind of wondering, like, can you tell us more about that play and, and like what the context is? It's based on the uh, poetry of Hafez, which is a, like a Persian poet from, I think it's the 14th century. I could be wrong. I can't remember what century it was, but I, I, I've got it over there. I can find it if you want. Um, and it's very romantic. It's all about love, you know, a philosophical love and romantic love and, and um, spiritual love and all those things. So it kind of uses that as a backdrop. So it's basically the story of two people who are, considering their love together with the poetry of Hafez. And it's kind of a neat scenario where the audience was very participatory. They were invited to um, participate at times uh, by either drawing stuff on the floor and they were sitting all around in a, in a circle 
uh, all around the action. And, uh, you know, they were all, there was also, they had lights that they were supposed to uh, turn on and off, uh, depending on what was going on, either to make sort of a, sort of a beautiful nightscape, or sometimes it was a, we were all in the dark and they were asked questions and they were kind of personal love kind of questions and they responded with lights on or off. Right. And so it was a really neat vibe. And um, so my music at different times, you know, there was an argument, for example, and my music brought them out of their argument as they did, you know, they went to a different thing Um, or just the music as people were coming in or music accompanying someone taking a bath or, uh, it could be a simple little scene where one of them is trying to egg the other on just to kind of lighten up and uh, dance a bit. So uh, all those things. And then uh, another one flower offering example is um, at the very end of the play, as people left, they were invited to put a a flower that they had be given into this illuminated circle. Um, So that's why the piece is called flower offering. This was the music to accompany that action. After all had sort of been said and done and you'd been through the gamut of the emotions and, and the various approaches to, to love. And uh, so, uh, you know, it was a really neat experience. It was, it was very challenging and most, I could say about 60% of the album was, was music that was based, was, was to be for that play. The flower offering is also probably my favorite piece in the whole, uh, the whole album. I mm. love that so much, but I mean, the, 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 me too. I think I mean the whole album uh, together. Um, and like you said, as I was listening to it, I didn't know all of that. I, as I was listening to it, I kept writing down notes. Like it sounds like a score. It sounds uh, a lot of incidental kind of things to a, um, you know, a, a play or, or a, uh, a movie, but uh, really emotive. Is that where like, and then flower offering is probably one of my favorite ones on the whole album, but is that where the titles come from? Cause they're definitely very, they sound very indicative of something like Judith and um, tea with P you know um you know pink house by the prison they they sound very like they're referencing very specific things is that they come from the play uh depends uh flower offering is directly that scene specifically um let me think of look at my album right here let me think of the other titles here that's the only one that refers to specifically to the play judith for example is just sometimes like you'll notice in andy work three i named some pieces after people like Robert. And uh, right. if I don't have a title, I usually um, just think about someone who died recently <laughs> and name it after them. So that's the case of Judith. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then pink house near the prison. That's uh, a reference to an actual pink house near an actual prison where I went and uh, I did a recording session. Um, so there you go. <laughs> I was going okay. to ask about pink house because yeah. I was like, there must be a pink house somewhere. It's a very specific reference. It was a very specific time. <laughs> it was uh, in the fall. Uh, I went out to this guy's house um, to record, to add some, some of his artistry to the album. His name is Miko Roy, and uh, he lives out about, about 40 minute drive out in uh, 
it's near Dorchester prison. Uh, and it's just a beautiful, that day was kind of dark. The colors were neat. And uh, it was sort of, it was an emotional moment for me. It was really the first time that I'd sort of brought this music out of, out of the basement, you know, here and, and bringing it to people. And it was sort of kind of emotional for that. And there's a, there's a train track right beside the road and it just went by at the time. And just there's a, the Petty Kodiak river is part of it's coming up there and it's just the mud flats and something about the colors that day. And anyway, it was just, it was a very specifically imprinted kind of moment and uh, something about the pink house near the prison. It was also very evocative, you know, like <laughs> it's just a wacky, which is cool. Cause you're thinking like, uh, you know, and I guess music has always done this, but maybe people don't realize this. You're thinking like a visual artist, like a Monet or a Van Gogh, but you're doing it musically yeah. based on that image, which is really cool. Yeah. And, and speaking of Miko, can you tell us what a Moog synth is? <laughs> A Moog since uh, well, Moog, uh, Bob Moog is one of the inventors of the uh, analog synthesizer in like the 60s, 70s. Um, very sought after inventor, really cool things. And uh, I use, uh, whenever I can, use his, um, there's a app called the Animoog that I use a lot, like for bass lines and for sounds. And I usually mix together, like uh, if I want sort of effects in the back, something from the Animoog. And maybe a, a musical saw or something. They have similar, similar sounds. And the perfect example of Pink House Near the Prison, you'll hear the saw doing stuff and you'll hear sort of this Moog synthesizer kind of doing things. And it's just... Um, He has like the the iPad version is of course the digital version, but this Miko Hawaii, he's got uh, the actual instrument, and it's uh, it's a really funky thing that you can make it sound like a trumpet. You can make it sound like uh, you can affect the timbres, but it also goes out of tune. Oh, um, I'm not exactly sure why or how it goes out of tune, but uh, I don't understand actually what's going on in that thing. But uh, it's just a wailing wonderful instrument, you know. Uh, so we had to tune it all the time. Like every five minutes, we had to go back and tune it uh, just to make sure it was in tune. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, um, I can't really tell you much more than that. <laughs> but long live Bob Moog. <laughs> I'm a classically trained musician as well, Andy. And oh, really? um, what instrument? Uh, voice and French horn. So oh, I have a wow. Bachelor of Music Education degree. Um, and um, But then I went on the ed track. So now I teach teachers how to be teachers, um, music teachers specifically. Oh. Uh, but I was extremely like your your uh, influences of Eric Satie um, and the Impressionists is very evident, especially in this album. Um, big, big fan of, of how you've kind of worked. I also hear like hints of like Spyro Gyra and early bands that you, you, do you remember like Dave Samuels and, and those early jazz musicians of the, well, not early, but I mean, of the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties and world music influences. Um, I was mm -hmm. big into yeah. that when I was in high school um, in the late eighties. 
Um, I think there was a band called Deo, which used a lot of African influences and a lot of uh, musical influences. Um, and I'm wondering how much like that impressionistic look really, really led through your uh, musical decision making through this process. I know you weren't the only instrumentalist, obviously, but I love hearing all of the percussion sounds. Um, I've always wished I were a percussionist, specifically vibraphone, because I just mm. love the vibes so much and vibes and marimba and um, xylophone. I think that there are so many elements that you can bring in that are so musical and so melodic. But um, I'm just curious to know, like, it seems like it's a fusion of all kinds of amazing classical, modern African jazz influences in your writing. And, and what are your influences specifically when you approach these things? Ooh. Sorry, big, big question. Yeah. A mu music dorky question. Yeah, I've had to write some of these things down. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm going to answer in the, like the broad way and is the way I answered the, the first question about, you know, the thread of Andy works. It's, it's, I think it's the same deal, right? There's all of my loves appear on this album, right? And um, whether that be, uh, you mentioned Spyro Gyra. That's, that's cool. And Dave Samuels, he's like the, He's the vibraphone player in Spyro oh, Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember him. Okay, yeah. I remember seeing Spyro Driver in Toronto, like, must have been late 80s. Um, I'm so glad you would know that reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I one thing that I remember about the Spyro Driver, and it could be actually Dave Samuel specifically, but just uh, on stage, he was, like, surrounded by all his cool stuff, right? Like, he had, like, a vibraphone, he had this, he had that. And I, I remember thinking, man... If I could organize my life that I have a like a like a place like that where I've got like the keyboard there, the piano there, vibraphone there, whatever, the rose piano there, and like all oh, surrounding me, you know, like that would be heaven, you know. Like and, and sometimes I think about that as I'm doing my setups, I'm going, Oh yeah, spyro gyra. <laughs> um, you were so cool. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so that was a bit of a tangent, but um, so yeah. You mentioned all kinds of things, uh, world music, uh, progressive jazz, um, to the you know the French composers from the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, all those things I love, and I studied them and loved them at different points of my life. Uh, whether it be growing up, growing up as a percussionist, wanting to be a classical percussionist, so it's just a natural a natural progression that you check out what's going on in West Africa about rhythm. You know, you check out what's going on in classical Indian music. Their approach to rhythm just is, is wild. You check out what's happening in Bali with the gamelan music. Mm -hmm. It's just a natural thing. So um, to know about those things and to try and appreciate them and, and that it appears in your own work is I think a natural progression. Um, same with, uh, the classical composers that I admire, uh, Debussy and Ravel being the prime um, mm -hmm. ones, and uh, Bartok is another one that I really enjoy. I don't understand <laughs> what he's doing exactly, but I <laughs> appreciate it, especially the Concerto for Orchestra. It's one of my favorite pieces, but um, specifically the, the the I think it's the fourth movement, the shorter one. Anyway, uh, it's just so cool. Um, and so it's natural that that'll appear at some point, whether and whether it be subconsciously or consciously, uh, it could be either, depending on the example. Um, 
depending on what I'm trying to convey, if it was, you know, uh, accompanying a, a bit of action in a play and it's like, Oh, that a little bit of DBC would work. And so I'd go down that route, you know, and then that piece of music would sort of stay in my brain for a while and it would do its thing in the play. And then time comes to do an album. It's like, Oh, how about that debut thing that that could work. And then let me, let me rework it and then I'll go some other direction with it or something. And, um, but then sometimes it's just, I like rhythm and I like uh, rhythm that surprises you. Um, always looking for something that sounds new to me. Um, and that usually means that I go and explore some of the world influences that I've, that I've known. Um, is that enough of an answer or is that too much of an answer? Oh yeah, no, that's a great <laughs> it's answer. It's never too much of an answer. <laughs> and I agree, I agree with you about the viol- uh, the vibraphone and the, there's a little bit of a uh, vibraphone for sure in there. Um, and T with P there's an example. And I would mm-hmm. board up my friend's marimba and that appears in a tune called too bad. You were the blue, blue, blue. <laughs> <laughs> what was the instrument that we were hearing? I, I want to say it's the same instrument. It could be completely different, but at the end or throughout the song, um, French braid, and then it almost feels like it's reversed or or done higher on, I don't know how to say it in French, but ginger uh, is the, the Americanized version of it. <laughs> okay, so uh, you're worrying about the instrument for ginger? Yes. That I can go, I, sh- I can show it to you if you want. Oh, that'd be wonderful. I'll be back in three seconds. I love music show and tell. <laughs> music yeah, when Andy, when Andy starts bringing out the instruments, it's a good time. That's, know, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Does he have an arpaggi? Because that would be amazing. <laughs> you should, I should ask him. He probably does. I mean, you can those... get a harpaji because the harpaji is amazing. And I can't afford one, but I can live vicariously through you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's a tiny. What are, oh, it's whoa. like a frog. What is, whoa, what is this? It's like a, it's like what are we looking at there? It's, it's basically a ceramic monster <laughs> that my son came home from a, one of those do-it-yourself cafes. But the key, wow. part, the key part is the hole in the bottom. What? So for people that can't see, Andy, it, there's a little ceramic hole in the bottom of of this uh, little monster and he's putting his finger in and then popping it out. Yeah. So that, that's the lowest note. I don't know if you can hear it. Oh my goodness. Oh my my gosh. So (laughs) that is amazing. I sampled that and then I put a little bit of water in it and then sampled it again and then put a little bit more water and sampled again and did it about 29 times. So that the first thing you hear, Yeah, that's wow. all 29 samples just oh kind of going up. And then I'm just, you know, just placing it and having fun. And I did a bunch of those. Actually, there's there's eventually going to be a B-Sides album. And there's another, I call it the Monster Blop. Um, <laughs> now, I've taught music for 25 years, Andy. And I've got to ask, were you that kid in class that was just hitting everything just to see what sounds it made? Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> <laughs> You could you could have been Ben Burt. <laughs> I think it's uh, the coolest story ever that we asked Andy, a music maestro, what instrument he used for this, and he comes down with the monster, <laughs> which is 
so cool. <laughs> I gotta say, it was not the answer I was expecting in the least. Well, you, you know, you'd be surprised the things that make great sounds. Uh, yeah. It could be anything, you know. Like I've I've used a like uh, my son's uh, teddy bear before because sometimes they've got sand in the bottom and just something about just tapping on the sand. Yeah. Um, in French braid example, if you hear that yeah. really high, that's actually, I can't remember which one it is, but it's, uh, it's like a teddy bear. Cause it's a oh really nice goodness. sound if you just tap it there. So, and it, you'd be surprised like, uh, Jim Scott is a, a guy we, we, we worked with uh, my brother and I, and he's a great producer. And he, when he pulled out his big bin of, of sounds, it's just, it looks like a, like a just a huge honking heap of trash. Like but a then you pick, one, you pick one at a time and go, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, that sounds so awesome. And then you put it into it's like, oh, what is this? Boink. Oh, wow. That's so good. <laughs> so it's, uh, you never know what it's going to look like. Sometimes it really looks like a bunch of garbage. But uh, we, uh, us collectors of sounds, uh, we take it seriously. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting because, as I had mentioned before, at the end, like throughout French Braid, there's this there's this beat that's underlying it that you can hear at the very beginning and the very end mm-hmm. that almost feels like the opposite of that of Ginger, um, where it's where where it's kind of going down and slowing down versus uh, Jumbre, uh, Ginger was going up and speeding up. Huh. Well, it's not that. Um, but it's interesting. <laughs> I think I think what you're hearing is uh, um, I'll go get that. Hold on a sec. He's going to come back with a potted plant, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so this okay. is a an example of a dono drum. Okay. Yeah. So it's a drum with two two sides to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you squeeze the the middle, you get kind of a um, right? Because it tightens up. Yes. The, right. So it's uh, you know. That's it. Yes. So I use that a lot. I love the sounds of drums going. Dum, dum, yeah. Dum, dum. yeah. Uh, I was going to say, it sounded like someone dropping a marble on a drum and just walk, like, boom, 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 boom. Oh, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just uh, doing it. You know, like you could do it on a snare drum or anything with a nice tight, tight skin, just kind of letting it drop. Bop, 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 bop. Have you spent time in India with the gamelan ensembles oh. and or the African ensembles, or do you intend to like do a mini sabbatical to travel after COVID is over? <laughs> we, I would well, love that. It'll never be over, but so wondering, far, you know, I've never done it uh, as far as I've gone is uh, you know Europe and South America, but uh, uh, to discover the Asian styles, either be Bali or uh, India or Africa, I would totally love it. Uh, I've been blessed to meet some really, really cool people that are in North America that are great teachers. Uh, uh, Modesto Amagago was my great Western African teacher, and a guy named Sal Ferreras is a great uh, South American. Um, Trichy Shankaran, who teaches uh, Indian music in, at York University in Toronto. All those guys have been really, really cool. And um, and then from their references of things to listen to, that's that's it. And then you know, studying classical 
contemporary music uh, composing also brings you along the path of some of these things as well. So, uh, but that's a great idea. I should. Yeah, I know you studied at McGill and I, I teach at Castleton, which is a small rural Vermont university, but I live in New Hampshire. Okay. Um, and I think one of the things that we're lacking in, and I know you studied there later for composition, but um, is, is we're not, we're still relying so heavily on our traditional Western music uh, teachings in, in regards to like history of Western music one and two, which are required for those. And I don't feel like we're bringing enough world influences in. And do you think that that would have connected you earlier to those kinds of examples? Or do you think that you had to find those examples on your own to really inform your class, your compositional style? Wouldn't hurt. Yeah, I think so too. I'm just saying, like, we don't bring them in early enough. We don't spend enough time with those. Uh, you know, it's just it's just a matter of it'll it'll dilute the Western stuff. Uh, so that'll that'll sort of go down in quality and, and the knowledge that they'll have. But then they'll they'll also grow up with a knowledge of the other possibilities. Mm. And I think that's that's a good thing. Just, just being grow up with with the idea that there are you know at least four or five different approaches to something is, I think the right, the right kind of approach. Mm. I I agree. <laughs> I do agree. You were mentioning before, uh, Andy, that rhythm. You like to use rhythms that surprise you, and I, you can tell I love the song French Break because I keep coming back to it. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it has that wonderful set French sound, and I almost want to say it's mixed with a samba beat behind it. Which mm. it feels tropical. Is, like if it sounds like a very tropical song. <laughs> is that it? Yeah. Yeah. What I imagined, I was kind of, um, when I was in Uruguay, South America, I remember there, there was these musical performances. Uh, and what I loved was uh, there was a singer. I, I couldn't stand the styles of the singer. I didn't know why they get so nasal and it seems to be a style that just totally got on my nerves. But the harmony was great. And the cool part that I loved was that the drums, the, there were three guys standing there drumming. One of them was on the snare drum, just doing this really. And the other one was on the cymbals, just going. And the other guy was on like a bass drum kind of a thing. And it was like a drum set player, but with each instrument being an actual person. And I that really, like, I don't like, drum set that much and i think that's the reason because i thought it was just so groovy when each one was just responsible for its own part yeah. mm -hmm. so um when i do like percussion tracks on albums or whatever i usually really try to do that i go one instrument at a time and put you know like my whole person in that one part right um maybe it's just because i was never as good a drummer as i would have liked you know <laughs> Could be that, but anyway, like uh, my bass drum is like, a, I don't know, something about hitting something with your foot. It just, it never really felt right. You know, the way I'm sitting down on my bum and I've got to lighten up my leg to make something groovy with the foot. And I, it just never quite like dancing. That's how I make it groovy. If I'm moving my bum and I'm standing up, you know, so I can never really get <laughs> yeah, past yeah. like how you have to be the groover. And when you're sitting on your bum. Mm -hmm. and not moving your bum uh, you know you can move your limbs and all that stuff anyway tangent um but that image of those three guys responsible for the rhythm and just doing really groovy stuff together was my image for french braid the percussion 
So I imagined, and I even panned them all into one spot, one spot to the side. And I imagined just, you know, one guy doing, you know, the, the guiro, very almost exaggerated. Like I was really enjoying that part. And then, you know, kind of a, kind of a Dennis the Menace going just tick, 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 just kind of, kind of have fun with everybody. Just kind of, and then other guys just, you know, just enjoying himself. And then, you know, that, this thing happening, right? Whatever that thing. <laughs> so, yeah. So I imagine that Uruguay, South America group of guys standing there, um, just accompanying what was going on. And I've, I also uh, try to have them sing as well. Um, but I ended up not using that. Didn't found that it helped the tune, but, uh, kind of exaggerated, like they were singing a little bit, you know, they're pulling the melody occasionally, you know, but I didn't end up using I shied away from that, but it would have been cool. How much of this album was created in, was it in person as a collective or was it still like COVID where you couldn't really get together as much because we're still on the heels of that. And I know that you were pretty locked down up, up in the great white North. So (laughs) sorry, there's a, there's an old reference there. Um, so how much of it was really in-person collaboration or was it more separate and then putting it all together? I, I would say 90% was, was me, myself, and I just doing my thing. And then when it was time to start to really uh, finish the albums, I wanted I reached out to some people to, to try and finish up things. Um, that's basically how it went. So, yeah. So uh, I would say uh, I can speak to probably 90% of it. Must have been nice to have that outlet too of throughout that that time period where you could really, really um, um, create when so many can't create and do those things and at least in isolation or in quarantine we're able to do some creative outlet projects. So, was that a cathartic process for you, being able to get these things out? <laughs> well, uh, yes, absolutely. That's uh, the pink house near near the prison. I think that is the emotion that I was having just like, okay, I'm out. I'm out and here's all this <laughs> yeah. cool stuff. And I'm going to this peak house. Oh, it's near this prison. Isn't that weird? Pink house near a prison? You know? Oh, wow. Oh, the train track right beside. Oh, oh look at those colors, you know? Um, but yeah, it was for sure. And I was lucky that I had, you know, like done a bunch of plays and I had a bunch of material that was just waiting to be finished. So, uh, it worked out to me. I imagined that I was one of many people that was that was going to come out of the pandemic with an album or two. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think it's somewhat true, but not as much as I thought. I thought there was going to be like a big boom of projects just hitting uh, in this this fall, but I'm surprised. Surprisingly, not. Mm-hmm. It is pretty great, though, that we live in a time period now. Would this? I don't think would have been possible 25 years ago. We don't. We didn't have the, the home recording technologies, the abilities that we have now um, in 2021 to create at this level um, and and make it sound so well produced that we would have had 25 years ago. So I think it for good or for bad, at least we have those resources now that we're able to connect with people um, and create at this level, despite being under quarantine and put in our own homes, et cetera. So good point. Like, uh, 
Thanks, some of the Andy people are, I just I just sent <laughs> I just uh, I just sent stuff you know uh, to some people and they they sent it back with their with their bit. I don't think we would have been able to do that definitely at the beginning of this. Uh... Oh, you have a visitor. Wait, Andy has a golden doodle. Wait, what? Oh yeah, that's Joa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love you even more. Where is it? Oh. <laughs> And Tracy and Jeff, I'm sorry. I'm totally fangirling out and asking way too many questions of poor Andy. No, it's fine. It's good. Yes. I wasn't here the first time. (laughs) I figured you would have more questions than I would just because of that. So because of your background. Yeah. You have this. And I'm the music dork of the group, right? Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh wow! I am in love with this pup. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, the, did the dog have any part on the album? Did they? Did he participate at all? Or it was there for the whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> you, there may be one track or two where he walks out of the room or walks into the room or something. Okay, all right. But he was there for sure on his on his blanket. On his, uh... <laughs> for 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 moral support. Yep. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty awesome having him around. Yeah. When I get a little too co- contemporary, he, he leaves, but uh, when it's chill, he, he likes to hang out. That's cool. So you said that most of this album was done primarily by you. Like it was a, yep. it was a, um, a project on your house and everything. Yep. So obviously we're hearing, you know, the percussion and, and the keyboards, things that you're known for. Um, one of my other favorite songs in the album is Simonette. Uh, I just love the, the chill feel to that, that song. And um, so now I'm not, it's, Heidi's probably going to shut me down on this one too, but I'm hearing woodwinds there. So did you, was that, were the, the actual woodwinds that you played or was that a, was that electronic or am I completely off on this? No, no. Uh, you hear a trumpet. Oh, is it? Yeah. The trumpet. Oh, you hear okay. that, that sound at the beginning. What? What? Yeah, that's that's yeah. the trumpet. I mean, I, I affected so is it. That you play in that too? No, then, or? that's a the guy named okay. uh, Sebastien Michaud was a guy I've worked with and a good friend. He came over one day and we uh, before it was too restrictive, but uh, we actually didn't have as bad a time of the restrictions as other places in Canada for sure. Right. Um, but uh, we were pretty lucky that way. But uh, yeah, he came over and did a bunch of stuff and. So I think that's what you're hearing. Now I, I put okay. I put a, an effect on it that makes it sound like a voice. Maybe that's what you're. He- I think maybe that's hearing. What, yeah. um, it's also the the accordion. Yeah, that's the accordion. Um, I may just think about. It. And there's a lots of little blips and blops. There's a lot of lot of pieces in that song. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Uh, the slide guitar. Uh, the roads going to be doop, be be doop. Yep, um, yeah. something named a battery on here and i'm trying to look it up to see what a battery is 
Uh, really? I said battery? Uh, played by <laughs> Ma- Maxence Cormier. Yeah, Maxence Cormier. Yeah, it's uh, just the French um, for drums. Oh, if wow. you, you notice the the album is uh, is bilingual, right? So, <laughs> so that which I love. <laughs> so sometimes I didn't completely translate everything, depending on what was going on. But yeah, so there you go, battery uh, or drums. Oh, Kinda okay. Yep. And there's also. Which makes sense um, well, that's, because that's what we call in marching band, Tracy. We call it the battery, is the percussion section. Thank you very, right, very much. Yeah. I never drew it, never, <laughs> never drew that connection, actually. That's why you have me here, my friends. I that is, yeah, you're right. <laughs> One of the many reasons. It was, it was in I was in marching band for eight years and I never made that connection. Because <laughs> I played the tuba, they just usually put us in the back and just oh, made us yeah. do bass yeah. noises, you know. Truth. One, five, we couldn't one, hear what the director was saying anyway, right? Boom, boom, boom. Well, no, we couldn't. No, <laughs> <laughs> just keep the rhythm. Be back there going boom, 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 boom. That's all, all you right. need is the one and five. We got it. Keep playing that. Be back here with my sousaphone. <laughs> I would like to experience life as a bass player one of these times. <laughs> well, I can tell you from eight years of marching band, one shoulder is definitely more muscular than the other. Because we always have the I have that sousaphone right here. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> my yeah. my band kids yesterday we had uh, we had a game, we had a football game, and I've been playing tuba and it's a convertible tuba, uh, but mm-hmm. my yeah. mellophone yeah. player wasn't there. So I played mellophone instead. And I was like, thank goodness, because I'm no. not a big lady, like I'm a short, <laughs> tiny human, and it is it is a lot. So I don't suggest sousaphone, but maybe maybe Andy wants to put a sousaphone yeah. on his neck, which leads me. So if you're such a fan of bass players, are you are you a little jelly of 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 Jim and his bass playing Ooh. skills? Oh. <gasps> Ooh, not little. at all, not at all. No, no. I I abandoned <laughs> the ever idea. Go of... Teach me, Jim. I would like to <laughs> learn more. <laughs> No, I'm not jealous, but I try to learn from him. In fact, it, the two of us were gradually sort of on our, in our own way, uh, filling in the holes that the other filled when we were with each other all the time. So he's right now is, is on a huge kick of learning Latin percussion and he's playing congas and uh, he's, you know, with everything in his life, he's taking it to the nth degree. Like he's <laughs> like, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And he's so passionate about it. And uh, I'm also learning about, okay, how life as a bass player, what do, what do I need to do as the bass player for this tune? Like when my brother's not here, like, how do I do it? So, you know, it's uh, no, I'm not jealous. I just try to learn, just try so to learn. Maybe, maybe fingers crossed here. When we get another brother's Cregan album someday, then you could be playing bass and Jim can be doing percussion fun on a few. <laughs> Imagine that. That'd be so cool. <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, we keep talking. I do, about- I do admit, I love it when you and Jim collaborate so much. I yes, got into Brothers yeah, Creek oh, yeah, yeah. first with Trunks, um, and then Sleepyhead, and then I went backwards, and I just I fell in love with that sound and the camaraderie that you as brothers have. Um, so I, I admittedly am looking forward to hearing that camaraderie again at some point. Yeah, we talk about it often, and uh, you know, we even made last fall we were going to do it. And something, something came up, and uh, usually Barney can lady relate. It's oh no, I have to kind of go up. And, uh, all right, fine. Oh, yes. <laughs> Dang it! Dang it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we keep talking about it. It's going to happen eventually. The the fifth, mm-hmm. 
because we uh, definitely have the songs for it. Mm. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Oh, right? yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I, it is a high octane situation uh, when we get together to play music. And, and the fact, like I said, that we're kind of filling in the holes that the other left in uh, the absence is it's going to make it even more high octane because we'll have right. more to say about what the other should be doing. And uh, mm-hmm. we've been through that and, and uh, you know, it's uh, it, you know, I can, it's just, it's going to be high octane, whatever it is, it's going to be high octane. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. That'll be the name. That'll be the name of the next album. Will be high octane. High octane. High octane. So we, be- we go from <laughs> sleepyhead to high octane. We, we called it today. <laughs> I would like. I would like a credit on that album for the title. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and to give you some. To give you some hope there, Heidi. Last time he was on talking with us, he said, "I think we're going to have Andy work for coming out soon," and we did. Yep. So. Oh yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Prognosticating right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Hmm. Good chance Andy Work 5 comes out before Brothers Cregan 5. <laughs> I'll take either. Okay. Yeah, we can go with that. Uh, going back to Andy Work 4, you chose two songs from Eric Sadi, uh, to, and I know I'm mispronouncing all these names. I'm horrible <laughs> at names, um, to, to put on the album. So I wanted to know kind of like what, what it was about these songs that means to you, what it represents to you that you're like, I want to make sure I put these particular ones on the album. Well, it's, it's probably a product of um, being a piano player um, with limited technical ability. Um, and I also teach. So this, the Sati pieces come up naturally because they're simple and they're not simple in the, in the sense that they evoke so much and they're really interesting, but they're easy to play. Mm. And so it's perfect for a a situation where you've got a student and I just like to sit down and play those songs and uh, just, I don't know something about them. Uh, And Sati is a neat character. Whereas sort of the further you get in, to knowing about them, the more interesting it becomes, you know, and you learn about why it was so simple and what his influences were at the time and who is, he was reacting against uh, and who he was influencing as well and what came from him. And, uh, and then you just play the music and you go, my God, it's, it's, it's not conventional at all. And it's not simple just for the case, for being simple. It's, yeah. there's, there's some depth to it. And, um, it's so he is something that I just come back to all the time for all those reasons. And, um, me being in my studio at one point, I was playing through and saying, wow, I wonder if I did this on the roads, what that would sound like. So, and then that was the beginning of what became the second set, the Nocien. Uh, the melody mainly is, is on Rhodes piano, mm-hmm. electric piano. And then I tried it on, um, the musical saw also played it on the steel pan, which are some of my favorite instruments that I have around and always try stuff on them. And, um, and I'm, I've got this beautiful new guitar that I wanted to, you know, I love doing slide guitar on it. So did the accompanying by slide and the piano is still in there. You, you can, you can still hear it sort of just giving the melody or giving the rhythm. Um, and then eventually kind of listening to it. It's like, wow, if I, 
if I sort of pushed it into the world of sort of the jungle, it kind of that's kind of a neat setting. It's kind of like the heart of darkness setting of Seti's pieces, you know, mm. and uh, it's, it, that also evokes a lot for me. So uh, you know, using my gongs and and uh, you can imagine, you know, sort of the the Gauguin world, or I think it's go is Gauguin the one that went off to Indonesia to to paint. I can't remember. I could be wrong. I don't know enough about about Gauguin to be able to understand. And just that, that feels like an Aaron. That feels like an Aaron. Question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Aaron could, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there is a like. I love the terminology without it sounding too. Um, it's and not it, the idea that your work is music is a musical landscape. They're they're paintings through music in so many ways for me. And listening to the newest album, I have a two hour commute to work every day, so I was able to listen to it a few times going back and forth. And it's it's just art. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very visual representation, um, um, sorry, an oral representation of a visual picture for my head. And I think that brings about, again, the Impressionists um, and some of the uh, Debussy and Ravel. I've always been a huge fan of, of that period of music. Um, that's, I think, my, well, Beethoven's my favorite of all time composers. I don't want to diss my, my, my LVB, but, oh <laughs> um, yeah, he's well, like, it's the romantic period. Like it's, it's horn and I'm a horn player. So brass is big for me. Um, but this, the counter to that is this impressionistic view and being able to hear this. And I can see the pink house by the person as bizarre as it is. Mm-hmm. You paint a beautiful musical landscape with your work. And I'm wondering, do you do you plan it out form wise beforehand, like which direction you're going? Like, is it more of in the moment? Oh, this is going to sound really cool here. Or like, how do you map it out before you do you map it out before you start your process? It's usually um, it's rare that I actually map it out unless I'm actually composing a piece for for an ensemble or something. But this is usually um playing or just screwing around with stuff and saying oh okay if i if i do this with this effect that culture creates that oh what if i change the chord okay let's do that for a while oh and then you know i'll change the chord again and then and then listening back it's like okay let me do this for a while you know let me do this for like four or five minutes and see what happens and then you listen back and then maybe a year or two you'll say "Mm, i should have turned left at that point you know (laughs) let's let's go back and, and fix that you know but it's it's rare that it's mapped out before it happens. Usually it happens and then you react to it. And sometimes it's just perfect the way it is the first time you go and you build things around it to make it make sense. Um, and that would be the case with Pink House in the Prison. That's just me playing chords with an effect, right? The sort of a ping pong effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in fact, there's what I always thought was a mistake that I was eventually going to fix at the very beginning, like the first 10 or 20 seconds. Uh, but eventually I said, no, nah, that's fine. If it, it works fine. Um, and it's still. It. I just love it. <laughs> so, well, and like, and like every painting, like I know that it's meant to be something to the artist, but something, whatever it means to that person um, that's viewing it at the time. But I'm, yeah. I'm really curious and I'm hoping I, I can get uh, an answer on this is so like with um, how's work, I almost, when I've been listening to it over and over throughout the week, um, 
to me, it's it's like a conversation between two people, um, and I can hear almost this person coming in that is just tired, and then the other person is comforting them, and then their their response is slightly more upbeat, and then back to comforting, and just it, it's this great conversational piece. But I wanted to know from from you, like, what was the inspiration for you on that? Hmm. Um, I can't remember what the initial thing was. I think I probably was just trying to imitate uh, Keith Jarrett. That's probably what, what was happening at, at that time. And I can't remember whether there was a specific project that I was trying to do or whether it was just, just playing. And I think it was just playing. I think it was like, uh, and it was just, I was just had this little melody that I was just rehashing and rehashing and trying to harmonize slightly different each time, taking a little break from it. And going back to it, um, and just and so yeah, I think that's basically it. And then over top, I realized there's a bit of a a canon possibility, you know, like a, just kind of a, if someone started the melody just a little bit behind, it's like oh that works pretty good. Um, but I don't know about the conversation. And then eventually, I added a little bit of drone underneath, kind of to help the harmony kind of go to move forward a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but not too much. Hmm. So I don't know about the, the conversation. That's cool that you hear that. But uh, for me, it's it's just a really a kind of a meditation on this one little. And just doing it any any different ways I can, just with the chords, without playing the bass, but chords. And uh, and that's what turned out. And it's one of the great things about your what I call soundscape of this album, the instrumental soundscape of this album, is that it can be so many different things to so many people. Uh, it's great mm-hmm. to hear where the inspiration comes from. It, it will mm-hmm. always be that kind of conversation piece to me because I really it, it it has formed that way in my brain, just like any impressionist piece. Like the person comes to it and brings their stuff to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. I mean, it's maybe it's cliche, but yeah, I let it go, and you you do with it what you will, right? And right, and that's cool. It's really cool for me to hear your reaction to it, um, but it belongs to you. <laughs> well, where I I stepped away from the album as I was listening to it. I mean, I'm 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 a music junkie. I'm a lyricist. I'm not as much of the musician, you know, that you are, but. Uh, um, I love I love music and writing music, but I'm definitely a mus- uh, a movies guy. I love I'm, I'm known for being a horror fan and everything. And as I was listening to this song uh, or li- this album, I kept writing down in my notes like on uh, Flower Offering, which we've already talked about. Um, uh, no CN head down. I kept writing. Wow, this is this is a score. This is a, a movie score or cinematic or <laughs> there were parts that sounded like the, like an emotional swelling part of a film or other parts that sounded like very incidental like an incidental section of a film and i I wanted to ask you that too like is that something that you've ever considered or or wanted to do and i don't remember if i asked you this last time but like doing like scoring films is that something that you are would want to do or interested in totally uh i think you did ask me last time and i think okay uh yeah of course um but doing that uh, requires you to know people that do film that um, yeah. that you have already a relationship with um, 
because it's a it's a real trust scenario. And so the closest I've been able to get is the relationship that I have with this director, Kim Collier, uh, with whom I've done these plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, with and I'm actually leaving to go to Vancouver um, in about nine days uh, for a month to work on a play with her um, again. I can't wait. Um, yeah, and maybe it'll produce a lot. It's a real work five. <laughs> well, you know, very. It could be. Could be that it's an interesting play. It's called. Uh, I've got it right here. It's called Everybody. Ooh. Ah, okay. There we go. All right. Ah, nice. Um, and it's uh, it's about death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Huh. Okay. <laughs> but it's uh, pick her up. It's it's sort of in 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 a long line of plays from ancient times where it's about death, but it's really telling people how to live kind of thing. But it mm-hmm. uh, it's a modern take on that. It's kind of like oh yeah, so there's this death thing, right? And and the weird a eh? kind of like kind of it's aware of itself, you know. And so the characters are actually death and love and everybody and. Oh. Um, and God is their actual characters and, you know, love and friendship yeah, and cool. senses yeah. and the actual play, you know, and, and it's a reflection on what life is about basically, but it's about death, but ends up being about life. Um, but it's neat. And we're going to try and get the actors to sing a lot. Sing. Mm-hmm. So trying to, trying to getting, getting into choral, choral vibes with this. That sounds extremely so are interesting. You, are, you, are you writing lyrics too then? Are you doing the lyrics out? Well, lyrics or... are usually from the text from the play. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like occasionally they'll refer to some ancient text. Uh, right. Okay. Example. Ye hearer, take it of worth, old and young, all things upon this earth are but vanity, beauty, strength, mind, senses, do man forsake, just as his foolish friends and kinsmen who to him fair spake. All fleeth, save his love, which beyond he doth take. So that's my text that I'm trying to write. So yeah, it turns out that you you can take your love with you to the grave. Could you just do an album where you read ancient poetry? <laughs> Andy Gregan. I would. I would word. totally. I would buy that. Actually. <laughs> I'll make a note of that. It's very interesting. Okay. <laughs> it's funny because I actually read this whole play. Uh, to my friend who was uh, driving, we were we went to this took a hike in uh, in Fundy Park, and uh, I didn't know how much I was actually going to be able to read it to him. You know whether he was going to you know say no no that's that's enough. We'll talk about other stuff. But like it's the I read it to the whole play to him while he was driving, and he was like, "Well, wait, what about this? And what's this?" And then I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Then went on, and it's like well, it was a great time. We had a great time. So maybe maybe there's a feature there, a narrator. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, is it? Can it be time, Tracy, for me to ask my dorky question? Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Can, okay. Yeah. So, Andy, and you can feel free not to answer this, but this has been a, a plaguing question for me for many, many years. Oh, okay. um, because I've been a big fan of the early work when you were with with um, my favorite band of all time um, from like '96 ish, um, and I'm curious about Little Tiny Song. Because I'm curious. Hey, I'm a Heidi, and I'm curious. Um, see what I did there? I'm pretty brilliant. Um, so I'm curious because this song on Maybe You Should Drive was your last album with the band. Was kind of like, was this a goodbye? Was how did 
that's again, you don't have to answer it. I don't want to pressure you, but I've been curious going, why is it just Dandy by himself? And this is the only song that he's completely by himself ever. And was that just like a goodbye song? Was it like, how did that song end up on there? Because I love the little, little tiny song. Um, I, I love I Love You more. I think that's adorable. And I always love fish yeah. sticks um, and ice cream sandwiches too. <laughs> but little tiny song, how did that end up as the last big Andy piece on an album? For being a little tiny song piece. The last big little tiny song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Jim and I started Brothers Cregan uh, between Gordon and Maybe You Should Drive. And the idea was we went into studio uh, with the idea that these this was like a bunch of demos that we were recording that could eventually end up as Naked Lady songs. That was essentially the birth of the Brothers Cregan. Um, although we played in band, bands and high school and all that stuff. And we did have original stuff already. Um, and the little tiny song you may know is on Brothers Creek and one. Mm -hmm. It's in its own version and on the album. And it's basically the only song from all those demos that ended up that to everyone seemed to be a possible song that worked as a brother, as a Barry lady song. Um, and that just shows you that, uh, first of all, Brothers Creek, and we realized, and everyone did too. So it's like, well, hold. I think Brothers Creek is a different thing. I think we all kind of slowly figured that out. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and that little tiny song is kind of a facetious title. Like I realized that that was about the window of opportunity I had was to be kind of short and quirky. Um, and that was about the window I had to really sort of put something of my own on in a Bernie Ladies world. Mm -hmm. So it's somewhat sarcastic and facetious, but I, it was, it's like, Oh, okay. I I'm, I'm good for some little, you know, commercial breaks for Bernie Ladies, but not oh. in not, not much uh, yeah. main content. And, uh, you know, I lived with that and was fine with that and mm -hmm. understand that. Um, but at the time, I think that was, signaling may, maybe this okay i, I want to do other things i want to do more uh i don't want to be a commercial break and 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 that's not degrading them at all what they are but there's only a certain amount of room for a certain amount of directions mm -hmm. in yep. a band right and you yeah. and you have to realize what's what's making successful and what not and my my approach uh if there'd been like uh more andy cregan songs it wouldn't have been successful or um, anywhere close to because I was a kind of a weird dude and I had different references and there's just only so much you can put into it you know yeah, yeah. well th thank you for answering that so much um, because we kind of have bandied around that idea was it like just here's Andy's he, it's different so we're just going to put it in here and you know it was kind of like thank you for being in our band for this long Andy here's your spot or whatever we we we're trying to figure that out mm -hmm. but now the band has changed so much in the amalgamation of the band and now including so much more of jim's writing contributions and, mm -hmm. and kevin i mean i was a big kevin hart thinbuckle fan as well and mm -hmm. listening to some of his work separately because they are so different and now it seems like kevin's getting more writing credits jim is getting more writing credits and they're able to really expand that sound so it is a little more eclectic mm -hmm. and very different even tyler's starting to get a little more 
um, um, of his own sound going. So I'm curious to know if this new version would be more Andy, like be more closer to the kind of vision you were having as a musician. Yeah, perhaps. Mm. Um, so there's a chance. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, what you're saying is there's a chance. No, I, I would. I wouldn't keep your your fingers hooked. No, I, I would, that was a total joke. Andy. <laughs> total joke. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe perhaps, uh, you know, with the years of experience that they have, I think they, uh, they probably become more open to that. Um, and at the same time, I think Jim and, and Kevin, for example, uh, they don't, they don't offer up every song that they've written for the band. They right. offer songs that they think would work mm, for the band. Um, uh, so I think it's a combination of, of the banding, understanding that, it, that, that in in the variety there's there's richness, but also understanding what the band is more and more, and and creating things that that work for it. Um, so yeah, I understand. Well, and you've come you make in a good and helped out with some of the songs and other other pieces as well. Mm-hmm. That was one of the coolest coolest things that happened during the during my pandemic because Jim called me and said, "Hey, can you help me with these two tunes?" Like, oh yeah, send them over. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's have some fun. Can uh, I just say I want to be um, at the Cregan house for Christmas? Like, I just want to hang and hear. I think we talked about that last craziness. time too. We were like, like a Cregan Christmas <laughs> yes. would be super fun to just hang out with the Cregan house. I'm I'm open. I'm wide open. <laughs> well, you're, you're gonna oh. have you'd have to deal with Jim's. Uh, Speeches about Latin percussion, and uh... <laughs> she would love it though. That's <laughs> there. I'll bring pudding; it'll be great. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun when we get the families together. We're gonna have a fun Christmas. We got one planned actually. It's gonna be it's gonna be a big deal. That actually leads me to actually one of the things I was listening to this week was the um, a lot of the songs from Ships and Dip. And, and more and more of them keep reappearing on, on YouTube mm. now, which is wonderful. And one of the great ones I saw was you guys covering Inline Bowline, but with your wives in the background. Well, actually, your wife was up front and, and uh, Jim's wife was in the background on drums. And drums, that's right. You were having an amazing mm-hmm. time. Like you were all over the stage and really psyched about it, which was wonderful. And I wonder, do you guys ever do that kind of stuff and collaborate and just have fun like that? Oh, not enough. Not enough. <laughs> Usually, when we get together, it's about uh, you know planning meals and the the kids are the stars of the show, really. But uh, uh, that those were fun times. Those uh, ships and dips uh, was so fun. You know, it was basically free food and music all the time. <laughs> so and learning people's you know songs, sitting in with other people, just appreciating, listening to other artists. And, and the boat was full of really avid, enthusiastic people that were so positive. It was just, you know, what could be, what could be better? You know, it's like, you feel like you've got your place, you're respected, uh, you know, people are also respectful. Just, uh, it was so amazing. Uh, really uh, amazing. Really, those, those were special, special times. Well, and one of the things that was kind of going on at that same time was you and Mike Evan were doing a lot of collaborating on mm-hmm. that. And, and I also know that Jim's been doing a lot of writing with Mike Evan recently as well. But I was wondering if yep. you had been doing anything or were, were looking into doing anything more with Mike Evan, because that watching those videos, it was amazing watching you guys do that. Yeah, I, I, I love what Mike, Mike does. And uh, uh, we had such a ball 
a high octane ball uh, doing stereo. <laughs> uh, if I, uh, I'll bring the stereo. Hmm. What's the, what's the, no. I was gonna say maybe you should bring the stereo, but that's no, that's the mixture of two albums. Uh, bring the stereo. Uh, uh, that was maybe you should bring the high octane stereo. Right. <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, Mikey's a real cool dude, and uh, those times uh, accompanying him and uh, doing like we did a sort of a dueling p- keyboards show for a while, and uh, that was that was a great time. Uh, but he's in Toronto and I'm in Moncton. But uh, <laughs> whenever he comes, we try and do something. And we actually did a, a concert in this very room at one point. Uh, it was really cool. I had the piano over there and the roads there. And he had a drummer and we had like seats like all over here. It was it was great. Wow. You should have live streamed that. That would have been amazing. Yeah, that was about probably seven years ago something like that. Before that oh, was a thing. That wasn't yeah. really a thing, yeah. But it would be now, you know, if you happen <laughs> to do it, yeah. you know. Steve does it every so week, you know. Right, right. Oh. oh, challenge accepted. Yeah. Well, he's always been avant-garde been. about that, you know. <laughs> the other question I had about ships and dips, and then I'll let these guys take some more questions, was like one of the things I watched was everything had changed. And you did this really jazzy, slow number. Um, but it was incredibly different than the original version. And mm-hmm. everyone else, everyone seemed to be right on page with you guys. Did you guys practice any of that stuff before you went out there? Or are you just, were just that in tune with each other? Well, they knew the tune because they played it. Um, <laughs> so I didn't change the basic structure. Uh, so they were, they just did the parts that they do, you know, on the regular tune. And I played it in my own way. And that I guess it worked out. That was, about the only thing that started to get on my nerves about ships and dips is that we didn't, we didn't properly prepare enough. Mm. Uh, and uh, it was at some point, at some, I mean, it was wonderful. And uh, it, there was always kind of a certain rapport. Ed would sit in and make jokes about how he doesn't know any of the music, but um, <laughs> that was fun. The first three or four times, but the, you know, like eventually I said, no, I, I, I desire something a little bit more, more worked on, more, yeah. more serious. Um, but uh, yeah, so that the story of that particular one says, yeah, that's me. Just uh, I liked, I wanted to do a cover of a BNL cover just to sort of nod to them. And I liked their songs. And that one's one of the ones that stood out to me as, as one that I could do in my own style. And I think I did it a couple of different, two different years. Oh, I would if if you ever formally recorded that, you already have sold a copy of that. Cause I I, mm-hmm. I wish that the audio on that was better because I love that version of it. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I like that song. I also did a convention years and sort of a mm-hmm. George Roberto yes. kind of style. And that was that was fun to to learn and play. I wish I'd done a better version of it, but I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it was yeah. Considering the number of views that it has, I, I think that everyone else thought you did an amazing job with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's a cool tune. It became a bit of a bit of a samba. Not samba, but uh, bossa nova. Mm. Well, and Conventioneers is one of the most brilliant lyric songs, I think, ever. Like it's yeah. one of my favorite all time. 
And uh, so it, when you can improve on what is already great, which I think you did with that, I Thanks. think you're welcome. Yeah. You should put that on uh, the high octane album. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, Brothers Creek and do Bare Naked Ladies. Hey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh. BNL. Off the hook. I off recommend the- off the hook. <laughs> Can we get a Cregan Brothers off the hook, please? <laughs> Is that one of the songs off the hook? Yeah, yeah. from yeah. Rune. Yeah. It's yeah. from Maroon. Also from Rune. Yeah. From Maroon. Off the hook. Oh, yeah, it's 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 one of my favorite <laughs> BNL lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> you know one of my favorite songs, uh, BNL songs, is um second best. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. We haven't covered that yet. We're we're only in the end. We're, we're not. Yeah, we're not to the S's yet. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. That's, uh, <laughs> second, but no, no. I I love second. Yeah, it's just just musically. That's one of my favorite tunes. What I love that, like, it, it, you were just, you know, playing your brother. You must love, again, you have so much joy and energy when you're playing, too, is with the serious side. Let's have fun seriously. My high school band director said that all the time. But I've seen, I don't know, I've seen Jim play live, what, 15, maybe 20 times. And every time, I remember one show, and I think his one of his, his bass teachers was in the audience or something. There was so much joy in him when he goes into his bass solo. And you can tell he's just in love with this big upright like you and Deli loves when he's playing you know regular electric or when he gets into upright or he had I think it was the show he had for the first time the electric he had an electric hybrid bass uh-huh. this had to be early to th- oh gosh I'm getting old um but I remember <laughs> when he right he was talking about it and he yep. he was like a kid at a candy store and yep. for me like he still brings that joy you still bring that joy after these many years I mm. like I try to tell my students all the time, whether they're going, I teach mostly the music education majors, but I also teach our performance majors, et cetera, theory one on the basic stuff. And, but I, my, my, my big mantra is keep doing what you're doing with joy. And if you still love what you're doing, but the minute you don't want to do it anymore, put it down and walk away. Mm -hmm. And it's so great to see you and your inspiration and your joy still doing what you're doing. And again, Jim still full of joy. Like we don't have enough joy in the world. I think, um, I, I, and that's just a comment on my love. You can really feel like I was thinking earlier, like when, if you go to New Orleans, you you feel the love in the food. Like there's a soul food element. You can feel when something is made with love. And Andy work is definitely a, a love moment mm-hmm. for you. You can feel that you have joy and love in what you're doing still. And it's not just like you're just shoving out stuff just to get it out. Like there's mm-hmm. such intense... Um, connection with the work you're doing. And I want to thank you for that because you can tell when somebody cares and has joy and love for what they're doing. So I appreciate that. I'm all about the joy and the love. Uh, And uh, I'm so glad that you hear that. I think that's what I like about the whole side projects. Like, obviously, I'm a Bare Naked Ladies fan from day one, from Gordon till now. I've always been a BNL fan. That's why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, you know, and, and all the, but when you get five big personalities together in a bit that is just what i think i mean i could be wrong i've never been in a band you know when you get five big personalities together you you only can put 12 13 songs on an album you're you're getting one person's visions or two person people's visions but there's five musicians in the band and i think that's what i like 
about the side, like Kevin and, and Harland have their side project, the cousins and, and uh, you and Jim, and, and you, you wanted to do what you wanted to do because you loved it. And I think that's why I love, you know, listening to the other projects and listening. Cause that's um, as a music fan, I want to hear people having fun doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love listening to Andy work and love listening to the brothers Creek. And cause you can tell it's just, yes, you're, you guys are having a blast and I love it. Well, but thanks. I, I would, I would say similar things, but you guys have already said all the amazing stuff I wanted. To I feel say. like I had a, I feel like I had a question at the end of that, and I just got. There <laughs> was going to be a question. I was like, no, I just love what you do. <laughs> I know. I, I I feel like I've been so overwhelming and dorky because I tended to talk a lot and get really excited when I fangirl out. So it's well, it's it's always fresh because when I put it because uh, when Tracy said oh, Andy's Andy's new album's out, you know Andy Andy work is out, and I was like, oh cool, and I I started playing it. I played it non-stop on my drive to work I, I just i love the new album mm-hmm. it's just so much fun and so much joy and like i said i i love i love music that sounds cinematic and, and grandiose and sounds like a score and um yeah you definitely nailed it on this one and amazing and i think it's interesting like you, you you get that cinematic feel for me it is like the perfect music for me to turn it down just just to the top or just to the bottom there and and have it playing in the background during all of my sessions with kids during my mm-hmm. social work sessions. Like it's engaging enough, but at the same time, relaxing enough that it keeps that session going. And it's nice, nice to have that in the background. Yep. Yep. Well, I don't know if you, on the liner note, I think I said, uh, here, let's read it. It'd be brilliant to release it on vinyl. It's on vinyl. Oh, it is on vinyl. Ooh. Yep. Because I downloaded it and I just, bought it, and now okay, you now just I'm sold another vinyl. vinyl. You did. <laughs> I have a record player in my office, and my students are always going in, going, "Doctor Welch, what are you playing right now?" I'm like, "So this is Spyro Gyra, and this is." I'll be like, "This is Andy Cregan." Here's it. I'll get one. He's gonna grab the vinyl. Am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so pretty! Oh, that's amazing! Look at Ooh. that! Oh, that's a sexy that, album I, cover right there. I bet that looks as good as it sounds, or sounds as good as it looks. <laughs> yeah, um, you, know what I, you, you know what I meant. Um, and the person that did the the album work on the front, it is spectacular. It is so yeah. engaging, yeah. but Who did beautiful. The cover art? His name is Mark Young, and uh, he's a guy in Moncton here. Um, I just liked his work, liked his his attitude, his personality, and he accepted mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, yeah, he really uh, really came up with some really cool stuff. Andy, who did your cover artwork for Sleepyhead? Because I've always loved that cover art oh, too. Thanks, that's me. Really? <laughs> so I I really I've always loved that album cover. So yeah, it's kind of a it's it's like a kind of kind of like computer. In a sense, but like uh, my whole idea is that I, I did it on a computer and then I wanted to zoom in, like have the, like uh, my brother-in-law, who's an architect who does a lot of um, Photoshop and stuff like, like I want to zoom in and like, like unpixelate it. <laughs> that was a funny process anyway, but uh, <laughs> But I like it I'm too. used to Kevin. Kevin's an artist, and we see uh, a lot of his his art artistic work. But I had no idea that you did that. That's oh yeah, all of the all of the Brothers Cregan um, album covers. It's all me, and Andy work as well. Wow, 
sweet. Usually a bit but of Mark anger. Young. I'm going to have to check him out too. Yeah. Mark Young. He's, he's, he's great. Um, but I was going to say uh, meeting, say, you know, like meeting musicians or, you know, people that play sports or people that you admire, it doesn't matter how, it's just a hard thing to do. Uh, and it's impossible somehow to convey who you are and the relationship that you have to whatever it is that you admire about them um, without feeling like you're putting an elephant through a mouse hole. Like it's just, (laughs) it's just hard to do, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and also the person being admired also, also has an experience as well. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's hard to convey how much it, it is appreciated, even though you feel like you're not really conveying what it is that you, yeah. you're, you feel or you would like to convey. Um, but it is it really is appreciated at big time. And, uh, and it helps us get through the dark, the dark times, you know, when we feel like we're idiots and we're, we're not doing good work or uh, we should be doing more or whatever it is, you know, and um, just know that you're having an impact and, like if I was to meet, I don't know, my my uh, my idol right now is Jesse Fleming. She's a, like a soccer player on the Canadian soccer team. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> if she was to walk past me, I would probably and, and, yeah. and not know what to say and, <laughs> and, and feel like a real dork. <laughs> I mean, when it all comes down to it, we put our pants on one leg at a time, and <laughs> we tell ourselves that we until you're in the same room. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I went back and I yeah. re-listened to the first interview. I'm like, oh yeah, I was definitely Google-eyed on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think but that's I, a great, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was I, going to just say, but that, you know, I think that's all of us too, when we age too. Like I tell my students who used to be really obsessed with composers, like especially band mm-hmm. literature composers, like, oh my gosh, I, I met Frank to Kelly and I'm like, uh, or I don't know if you're familiar with Frank or of course everybody knows Eric Whitaker or, you know, those composers. Um, and I'd be like, yeah, well, I was at a the Midwest band directors clinic and yeah, I chatted with Frank and, oh, I hired him to compose a piece for my band. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, they literally are just human beings. But then I mean, it's really funny to to just say, well, yeah, they're also teachers and they're also workers and musicians. And 30 years ago, they were not thinking that they would be it like it's you always hope you reach a certain level of success. Um, but I didn't expect to fangirl out as much. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Andy. I'm really sorry. Well, I, I didn't pick up I didn't pick up any dorkiness. <laughs> okay, good. Everybody else does. We love the dorkiness though, Heidi. Aww, yeah, yeah, thank you. And and I think that's a really good spot to kind of go out on that last discussion. And I, Mm -hmm. what I want to do is one, I want to encourage everyone to go out and get Andy work for it. It is an amazing album. Um, But with what, what Andy said, I also want to encourage everyone to write into Andy, let him know how much this album and his other work has affected you and, and how much it means to you, because it does, it does mean a lot to the artist to hear that. And it helps us move forward. No question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, others may, you know, some other artists would say, I, I don't want to hear any of that because it has nothing to do with how I create, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, like I said, um, I can't remember your name, Jeff. I said, oh, you, yeah. it, you, you own the, uh, your album and you own the way you've reacted to it and you own what it means to you. That hasn't, 
and it's it's not me it's you and uh and you should feel you can do whatever you want with it mm-hmm. uh and us as artists we we sometimes get projected onto like you know like uh for whatever reason people people think that it was this or they think it was that or with the other thing and um sometimes those things are true and sometimes not sometimes we want the adulation and we need it uh, and we feed on it but sometimes we have we don't want anything to do with it so um but i know in my case it's nice to hear because it's pretty under the radar stuff so just to hear that someone somewhere is is liking it uh means a lot to me for sure (laughs) So Andy, I know we can buy Wendy Work for on a variety of platforms. Where can we go specifically for other merchandise like the vinyl recording, which I've just been trying to find and I can't <laughs> quite find it. So where okay, would yeah. we go to purchase such amazing um, audio? <laughs> uh, I think the distributor um, for North America is uh, plage.net and plage is P-L-A-G-E-S dot net. And I'm in, ah. I'm in the artist's um, and there it is. Repertoire First in there. Thing. And I think you can order the uh, the vinyl from there. And if people can't Thank find you. it, I will put it into the liner notes for this episode as well. So people can easily get there. Yeah. And there's also a Bandcamp and Andy Cregan uh, page. And if you don't have that, I can make sure that you, that you do. Oh, you do? You have a bank? Oh, you do have a Bandcamp? That's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I, I, once again, would love to be able to find a way to express how wonderful it was to have you come on and talk with us and, and to have that experience. Um, I, I can't put those words together at this point, um, but it really has been fabulous. <laughs> like you're, when, whenever I asked a question, I had an idea of where that might go and you took it into a completely different direction, which was much more than I ever would have expected it to be. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. <laughs> Well, it's, I appreciate it. And it's, uh, even, uh, in my own way, it's, it's, I know that you, uh, you, you know, Bernie K ladies is, is your, is the sort of the masthead or the, the first, the first point of contact. Um, and those guys are brilliant dudes, you know, Ed and Steve, especially at the beginning where they took questions of, you know, that also took people in different ways. And I found that, uh, I was pretty, uh, dry toast compared to them, but, uh, it's nice that, uh, <laughs> you know, that, uh, you can also enjoy the dry toast. <laughs> I would never describe you as, as dry toast. Like your stuff is, <laughs> no. is different, but it is so much more interesting in some ways than what they have. It's just completely different. It's like trying to compare Indian food and, and French food. Like it just, you can't compare the two, but you can still love both. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's home baked. Dry toast. <laughs> <laughs> but there are toppings on it there's butter and oh jam. sure sure <laughs> it's been great chatting with you folks thank you Andy. Yes, thank, thank you, you so Andy. much thank you so much <laughs>